Hey folks, no funny intro this week. Instead, I just want to quick recommend our Patreon, where for just $3 a month, you can get a bonus episode with every regular episode. That's at least two episodes a month extra. That's great. And this week, we're taking suggestions from the Patreon subscribers to put on our next Twitter poll, where you all get to vote on one of the movies we talk about next. I saw Waterworld on there. That could be interesting for sure. Uh, if that sounds cool to you, just go to patreon.com slash so much movies. So much. So much. So much. So I finally filled one of the gaps in my Vietnam movie watching. Yep. And I said, I don't know. <laughs> I saw Apocalypse Now. Yes. And I actually, when I was talking to you, this was a couple weeks ago, right? Or maybe mm-hmm. last week. I was trying to figure out what movie I wanted to watch. Yeah. And two of the options I gave you were Apocalypse Now and The Deer Hunter. Mm-hmm. And I had just not seen either of them. And I had only seen Full Metal Jacket like the year before, basically. Okay. So I'd gone pretty much my entire adult life without watching any Vietnam movies. <laughs> yeah. And other than like Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah, which hardly counts. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just really not aware of Vietnam at all mm-hmm. in almost any capacity other than, wow, bad war. We yeah. all hated it. The thing is that everybody kind of knows. Yeah. And so actually watching Apocalypse Now was pretty big because even Full Metal Jacket is not that much about the Vietnam War. The yeah. only interesting part is the first half. Yeah. And the first half is all about boot camp. Yeah. And so the second half is essentially just them wandering around and being aimless in Vietnam. Yeah. And the one character being sort of uh, not liking the war. Well, and I think it's interesting even that that movie came out so much longer after the Vietnam War had happened. Yeah, what year was that? In the 80s for sure. Wow. I don't remember. And Apocalypse Now is 79, right? Yeah. I think so um i think the deer hunter was even closer to the yeah end. that was like 75 or 6 and so, then yeah apocalypse was, now came out in 1979 there was quite a run they were there. filming it over like three years yeah so. there was quite a run there of a lot of these movies i mean we already talked about rambo or first blood i should say yeah yep uh platoon came out in there born on the fourth of july came out several years later yeah there's a lot of movies about vietnam and yeah a lot of them are i think it, it has affected how even like you said like how you how you had already thought of the war. Yeah, I think the movies did affect how people thought of it a lot as being a mess. Yeah, and I thought this. Uh, and I kind of want to talk about all of them, which I have seen, which is right now two. Yeah, so I haven't seen the Deer Hunter or Platoon, but Apocalypse Now is a big movie. We can mainly focus on Apocalypse Now. Because yeah, it's incredible. I'd, I'd like to. Yeah, because just watching it, I was kind of bowled over so first of all i loved it Mm -hmm. i was shocked at how much i loved it yeah it's great and i was shocked at how basically perfectly geared toward the type of movie i like Mm -hmm. it is yeah just the idea of this is going to be a tough one for me to like really get all the way through to even like make a coherent thought on. yeah but even just broadly even just broadly that it's kind of about death and you know the the depths of humanity yeah what what you know. uh what is kind of under the thin veneer of civilization yeah and how easy that is for it to break yep and make people into yep and just all of all person. of the evil undercurrents of 
pretty much everything that happens in the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which exactly. is why I think it it it's a Vietnam movie, but it didn't have to be. Yes. And we'll get into that. Yeah, we can actually. I mean, you can just so start it's, with. It's based it's, on a book, mm-hmm. Heart of Darkness, by Joseph, by Joseph Conrad. Yep. One of my favorite books ever. I'm not a big novel guy. I don't read a lot of novels. It's, it's a novella. It's not even yeah, 100 it's, pages. It's so. short. But I really loved it. Um, I just read it literally this weekend after yeah. I'd seen Apocalypse Now. And I was only underwhelmed because I saw Apocalypse Now. Yeah. And it was such a perfect execution of what it. I wanted that to be. But it's mm-hmm. interesting in that. Heart of Darkness is about the exploitation of Africa by... Mm -hmm. European colonialism. Yeah, all of Europe, essentially. And Apocalypse Now is about the U.S. essentially going in and just laying waste to Vietnam in the same way. It's it's the perfect type of story to bring into that specific time frame. Yeah, that event of the Vietnam War. Because the whole... Because we all thought we were going in and, you know, bringing democracy or stopping communism. Defending people. And the whole point of Heart of Darkness is that all of the British and Belgian people... Well, I don't know about the Belgians. That's a whole other thing. But at least the British people in the novel were saying, oh, we're going in and civilizing them. Yep. And but ultimately, all they were doing was just exploiting them to an unbelievable degree. And yeah, well, and I think even the name "Heart of Darkness" right kind of shows you what it's about, which is that even so, like when the main character is going into the Congo, yeah, and he's describing it as being this like terrifying, savage place. Yes, yeah, so the further he goes in, he's going into the heart yeah, of darkness. But then when he's he, describing it, but then when he gets there, mm-hmm. what he finds is another European guy in charge just ruining their society yep like basically making it that way yes and by the time the heart of darkness had been written belgium had been in charge of how things were going in the congo for like 40 years yeah and essentially had the population had been cut in half pretty much from like 22 million to like 12 million i read a whole book about this yeah it's the most horrifying thing i've ever read yeah and it was essentially this just destroyed this country in an attempt to get as much ivory and rubber as they could out of the country. Yep. And that's it. And, and the, the the very basic plot of the book is mm-hmm. that... So this character named Marlo is telling a story about going into the heart of, of the Congo mm-hmm. to go and find this guy named Kurtz. Yep. And Marlo's a steamboat captain. Yep. He is hired to be a steamboat captain and he's going to make some money. Yep. And so he goes into the heart of the Congo to find Kurtz who is... Uh, another British guy that everyone respects, or that everyone is just amazed at how much ivory he can get out of the Congo. Yep. It's like double or triple but what everyone else is. But and, they've kind of lost contact with Yeah, them. and so he's he just has stopped communicating with them. And yeah. so they're going to go find him and figure out what's going on. Which is a really interesting critique of how the situation was in the country at the time and how it got to be so disastrous. Because it essentially was a chain of people saying to the person beneath them... Get me this much ivory. I don't care how you do it. Yep. And then the, that person Kent said the same thing to the person below them, and it was just a big chain of plausible deniability. Yeah. That people didn't. That the people in charge didn't could say that they didn't know that essentially right. crimes against humanity were happening constantly. Yep. And it was a big genocide. Yep. And so. So he. So he. As the further he goes in, the more he he keeps running into the next person in the chain, essentially, mm-hmm. and. They, it's interesting. They they keep getting, he keeps judging them on very superficial things like how they're dressed. 
Oh, like the further in they go, like they're just wearing less and less proper clothing. Yeah, and just stupid stuff like that. There's a guy who's a bricklayer mm-hmm. who hasn't like been able to make bricks for like three years, mm-hmm. and but that's his title, and so yeah. it's all of these like betrappings of like, yeah, this is civilized. Yeah, even though nothing is happening that's actually civilized. And by the yep. time he gets to Kurtz, Kurtz is like kind of on his last legs. He's very mm-hmm. sick. Mm-hmm. But he's still exploiting the people to a crazy mm-hmm. degree. And they they really go around it a little bit. But essentially, they're like, they think he's a god. They're like yep. doing human sacrifices in his name and stuff. Yep. There's all these other crazy things that are happening. Yeah. And eventually, he pulls Kurtz out of there. And there's another guy who's there who's just like stuck around because he is just participating in it. Mm-hmm. Another British guy. Mm-hmm. And as they're bringing him out, he has the whole like... Kurtz is essentially realizing all the the horrible things he's done. What, what the country has made him do, essentially. Well, or the depth of his own yeah, nature. Yep. And that's what I think is really interesting about the book is that, yeah, one, even that's my favorite part of the book is like Kurtz dying and him talking about death. Yeah. And then Marlowe talking about it, trying to get back into British society. Yeah. And, and Marlowe is very mad when he gets back to British society. And I think it's interesting, even when you talk about the people, when he goes in deeper and deeper into the country, people becoming less and less civilized. Yep. And it's interesting to look at the whole situation and say, kind of, who are the monsters here? Yeah. Is it the people on the, the people who have no power, who right. are being forced to do these violent things, or is it the people who are in charge who are making them do it? Right. And, and or is it like this, this up or this very quote-unquote civilized society that's causing all of this to happen mm-hmm. but through their you know force various forces yeah so the book is fascinating yep. it's under 100 pages if you find it definitely give it a read mm-hmm. and it's apparently the most analyzed book in uh graduate study english interesting over, over the last like century because the book is very nebulous mm-hmm. there are a lot of statements that he makes that could be interpreted in, a few, in more than one way. Sure. And so it's it's very good for graduate analysis in the sense okay. that it's you can really just turn it into it's about this. No, it's about this. Yeah. And ultimately, it is obviously about one thing, which is yeah. He the, wrote Joseph Conrad wrote it to try to basically convince British people to end Belgian control. Yeah. yeah, Belgian control over the Congo. Um, what it's actually also interesting even when you say that about the language of the book yeah i really enjoy the language of the book and i think it's also interesting that joseph conrad doesn't speak english as his first language he's from like hungary or something right yeah so i just think that's kind of interesting that it would probably make him have a different view of the english language and there are actually footnotes in the book itself that say uh from the initial from the draft version of the published version this word changed Mm. And they say, you know, just they just like point that out as like this could have been this. Yeah. Does this make sense still? Yeah. Interesting. It's fascinating. Yeah. And so of course it's the perfect type of book to make into the type of movie that Apocalypse Now is. Yep. Oh yeah, this is a movie podcast. Yep. Whoops. So <laughs> no, but this, but we needed that. It's <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. And so Apocalypse Now is crazy first mm-hmm. off. It starts off with a bunch of with essentially the main character going nuts in a hotel room yeah and overlaid with scenes from the vietnam war of like fire and smoke and 
helicopter sounds and stuff. Yep. And so it just starts there and it well, it goes into the heart of darkness in in, in a way. And yeah. so the movie takes the basic structure of the book and yep. overlays it into Vietnam. So the main character, he's not uh, Marlowe, he is Willard, I believe. Okay. And he's played by Martin Sheen, which was, first of all, so crazy. <laughs> the West because, Wing president. <laughs> because I knew that, yeah, he's, he's the president from West Wing. <laughs> That's what I know him from. And I knew that Charlie Sheen was also in a Vietnam movie. Yep. And I couldn't remember which one was which. And so yep. I saw him and I thought, oh, this is the one with Charlie Sheen. Yeah. It is not. Have you seen Hot Shots 2? No. So there's a scene in Hot Shots 2 where Charlie Sheen's character is on a boat in Vietnam. Okay. And their boats cross paths. <laughs> and they both they both say to each other in unison, I liked you in some movie that they were in together. Yeah. I can't remember. Father and, father and son. Weird bit. That's anyway. incredible. Yeah. No, I've not seen that. I guess I'm going to have to now. Yeah. But... Uh, so anyway, he yeah, goes Martin on this. Sheen is in it, and so they they essentially call him back into service, mm-hmm. and they give him a mission to essentially go up river mm-hmm. in Vietnam and find a general. I, no, I think colonel. he's colonel. He's colonel. Colonel Kurtz, who's gone a wall, who has was very effective in what he did, which was basically taking out guerrilla forces, uh-huh. but. They haven't. They've lost contact with him, and they hear that he's doing crazy stuff, mm-hmm. and so they hire Willard to go and kill him. Mm-hmm. And they say that's like in the mission itself is you need to go and kill him. Yep. And that just that specific phrase, you must go kill Colonel Kurtz, is the entire reason that Francis Ford Coppola did not have the United States Army fund. The, lend him any equipment oh interesting because they did not want a movie where the army ordered them to kill yeah. one of their, their officers interesting and so and he wouldn't change it so yeah. that's part of why this movie took so long to make which we will get into later yeah. i want to talk more yeah. about the plot yeah. so yep. he goes to vietnam he gets in with a with a group who is going up river he, he's sort of tagging along the whole time yeah on other people and their missions yep and there's a group of probably four with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, right off the bat, he meets... Isn't it young Morpheus one of them? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 14-year-old Lawrence Fishburne who lied about his age to oh, get in the cool. movie. And by the time the movie was done, he was 18. <laughs> yeah, because it took so long. Also, Dennis Hopper got uh, Lawrence Fishburne addicted to heroin. Wow. On the set of this movie. Wow. Which is a whole nother thing. That's a lot. Yeah. So... So he gets in there. He uh, he meet, starts off with Colonel Kilgore, who is the notorious one who had the whole "love the smell of napalm in the morning" line. Yep, and, which and the helicopters is a much bigger phrase if you actually yeah. go and watch the scene. And the helicopters going in with dun, dun, Ride of the dun, Valkyrie. Dun, yep, dun, 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 and yeah. dropping all the napalm. Yeah, it's crazy really cool. scene. Absolutely insane scene. And apparently that scene took a long time to film the napalm it. dropping thing. Yeah. But that, that is really an incredible scene. That's really what I think the first scene that really hooks you. Yeah. In oh, terms yeah. of not just the fact that they're coming in to right at the Valkyries, but the actual assault on the village. And it's, the only reason they're assaulting this village is because Colonel Kilgore likes to surf. Yeah. And one of the guys in in the group with Willard is a professional surfer. <laughs> and as soon as Colonel Kilgore finds out, he says, we got to go catch these waves. Yeah. So they... <laughs> Wipe out an entire village so they can surf. Which is a great 
it's an example of the like what how insane it had gotten by that time in it's Vietnam. A, it's a great thesis statement. Yes, of what Francis Ford Coppola thinks of the war. Yes, it sets it up pretty quickly in the movie that he just thinks it's an insane, pointless, violent, yep, crime. Yeah, absolutely. Which it was. Yes, and so they Colonel Kilgore gets his surfing in, mm-hmm. and they also one of the super interesting parts of that scene is when there's a that woman who walks up and she's like got a one of those big straw hats mm-hmm. and she's hiding a grenade in there and she walks up to the helicopter and tosses the grenade in there and runs off and the helicopter blows up and that that causes them to like retaliate even harder yeah and that's what actually causes him to call in the napalm strike okay yep uh just because one of their helicopters got blown up because yeah. they were essentially annihilating this village up until that point. Yeah, man. So, it's a wild it's scene. It's very well shot. Yes. It, it'll pull you in, and it's completely understandable that it would be iconic for decades. Yes. And that it would be pretty much what people think of when they think of Vietnam Absolutely. Movies. Like, between... It's either that or, you know, listening to Fortunate Son on a helicopter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So, there's a bunch of other stuff happens... That we don't have to go yeah. through. Like every scene, they go to a USO show that quickly devolves into absolute insanity. Mm-hmm. They make their way up the river, and they kind of there are different checkpoints. Different stuff happens. Mm-hmm. There's there's actually a recreation of one of the scenes from the book where they are getting attacked by natives, and the pilot of the boat gets speared. Oh, interesting. Yeah, nice. Which I did not. You know, yeah, I guess I remember that happening in the book. I didn't remember it happening in the movie, actually. Yeah, and so, boy, there's a lot of like little things like that that uh-huh. were really cool to see the back and forth of like, oh, this can inspire a scene for us. Yep, because they're going into... Are they going into Cambodia yes, or something? Actually, yep, yeah. because it's like he, a whole instant illegal mission. Yes, that's right. That's the other part of it is that going into Cambodia is illegal, and so yeah. they're, that's why they're boating in and not like flying in. Mm-hmm. And so they eventually they make it there, and Colonel Kurtz is this insane... He's played by Marlon Brando, first off. Yep. And the whole thing was that Marlon Brando is kind of a big diva. You want to talk about Marlon Brando quick? Yeah, actually, I While do. While we're talking about him. So, Brando... I don't, I don't know much. So, here's the deal with Brando. He... Wasn't he, like, one of the first method actors? I'm not sure if it's method acting. He was one of the first people, in Hollywood at least, to... Start acting more realistically, like naturalistically. Pe- so, like the burn on him uh, from classic theater types, yes, would be that he was like a mumbler, yeah. But he essentially talked like how people talk in real life, yep, and tried to portray that kind of energy versus the kinds of people who were used to being on a stage, having to really over enunciate and project, and part of that essentially speaking to the back seats a little bit yeah and part of that is always going to be because of the technology yep obviously people who grew up on the stage they needed to do that Mm -hmm. and even once people were starting making movies the sound quality wasn't very good yep so you know you can't just put on him being a genius but you know you could do it and he was one of the first big stars to do it Mm -hmm. so he did streetcar named desire was a huge one okay on the waterfront was a huge one and so people who grew up around that time especially people who became actors yeah he was like every actor's favorite actor yep for a long time and he was like a legend and people idolized him yes and then he had a big stretch of time he had a lot of good movies a lot of big movies lots of good roles 
and he kind of got older. Yep. And kind of dropped off a little bit in okay. terms of quality. He kind of just stopped caring. He yeah. gained, gained a bunch of weight. Mm-hmm. Stopped. He kind of was phoning it in. Yeah. A okay. lot of the time. Kind of resting on his laurels. Resting on his reputation. Yeah. And then he did The Godfather. Francis Francis, Ford Francis Ford Coppola. Same director as Apocalypse Now. Yep. He got him to do The Godfather playing the titular Godfather. Kind of an older guy. Um, he's actually he wasn't as old as he looks in the yes. Godfather. They gave him a lot of makeup to make him look older, and then they put like stuff in his he yeah. put cotton in his cheeks, to, <laughs> yeah, to make him talk like that. Yeah, but that was kind of his re-entry into acclaimed movies. Yeah, <laughs> but he still it didn't really make him try harder. <laughs> uh, he still kind of was phoning it in a lot. Yeah, he did like, he but he was jo- also like just insanely opinionated. Yeah, he was a very well. He he could do whatever he wanted. Right, people which, couldn't tell him what to do. He right, any, which was kind of where the diva thing came. Any from Any movie that he went on, the movie gained more from him being there than yeah. he gained from the movie right. in terms of money. Or so he fame. didn't have to work hard. He didn't have to try to do anything to get more famous. Yeah, he was Jor El in Superman in this stretch. That's right, I forgot about that. Anyway, and then he did Apocalypse Now, and he showed up. Being like very overweight, yeah. So he's huge, but <laughs> but they did shoot it in a way that makes him look like a massive man more than just like mm-hmm. because in so in the in the book, Kurtz is a huge dude too. Okay. He's like a very tall guy. Like the okay. whole thing is that he's he's a massive guy. Okay, and that works for Kurtz in the movie because Kurtz's whole thing is that he was in the army for a while and then mm-hmm. he joined the marines at like 39 uh, okay and everyone was like there's no way like mm-hmm. you'll be going up against people like 19 20 years old yeah and he passed it because he like just has the sheer force of will and also supposedly the physicality to do it sure so they shoot him more like a essentially just a beefed up dude and i think it works anyway i think it does too even with him being just straight up overweight because he is going for. I mean, I think it works almost as like a decadent god situation. Yes, or like a. It really sets him apart from all of the people around him. Yeah. So so they let's so they get yeah, to he gets to the they, part they of get their, to Cambodia. Yep. And they leave one guy on the boat. He goes in to try and talk to Kurtz. Mm-hmm. Kurtz has started up a cult around himself. Huge basically. cult. When, when they arrive, it's so cool with all the boats. Yeah, so they have all this, a wall of boats, and pe- and they're all, like, painted, like, pure white. Mm-hmm. All the, the people are. And they, like, open up and, like, let the boat through. Mm-hmm. All these other boats let through. And it's sort of like a, like, into the gates sort yeah. of situation. Yeah. So he goes and talks to Kurtz. Kurtz, what does he do? He, like, kind of tortures him for a little while first, right? He locks to, him up. To break him, essentially. Yeah. And then... And also, uh, Dennis Hopper is this photojournalist yeah. who just ended up staying because he thought this guy was amazing, which is also in the book. There's a I character, think, there's a guy who's there who is like absolutely buying into what Kurtz is doing. Yeah, and I think both of them are mostly there to like just dump information. Yeah, which, give, which they do in like a cool way, and it works, and it's not like annoying. Yes, so because success. because what's so cool about the photojournalist that Dennis Hopper plays mm-hmm. is that. He's tying a lot of this to the weird hippie peace and love. Yeah. Even though there's no peace and love with Kurtz. Yeah. The whole thing is that he is this horrific... He's done all these horrific, awful things in the name of, you know, what he's essentially discovered in here. And through the course of, you know, breaking down Willard a little bit and talking to him a bunch, he's talking about how the ultimate 
realization he's made about not just this war but all war is that you have to be willing to go absolutely to the furthest available ends you can in order to win yeah because he the example he gives is uh they go in and the the u.s army went in and gave vaccinations to these kids Mm -hmm. and the native group there went and hacked off all those kids arms Mm -hmm. afterward and it's like if and his whole takeaway from that is if you're willing to do that you're willing to do anything to win yeah and so that became his strategy and that became why he's so notorious down there and why they and why he had so much success yeah because he would just be willing to commit atrocities in order to win yeah and, and that's ult- and kind of, and that's what breaks him essentially. Yeah, what breaks his brain. So is that? And I don't remember this speech exactly. Is he saying that from the standpoint of basically, if you start a war, that's going to happen. People are going to do what they have to do. So don't do wars. No, nope, he he admires it. Okay, because that's all he's been trained to do. And it's supposed to horrify us as the viewers. Yes. Yeah. He admires the pure the purity of their purpose. Okay. And. So, and he, but you know, he also has a lot of things talking about the sort of the preconceived notions that we all come into. And he's also crazy. So you're supposed to take all this with a grain of salt. Yeah. But it is an interesting thing to think about. Like, it is the logical endpoint in a way. Yep. So it is, in that way, it's super fascinating. That's definitely what he represents is the logical endpoint of all the things that you've seen so far about the U.S. military's involvement in yes. Vietnam. Yeah, exactly. Even just like, Kilgore talking about the village that they're destroying. Yeah. You know, and like, I think it's uh, it's such a great depiction of the ideas that are in Heart of Darkness about you kind of, as you work your way in, people are telling you these things that are almost getting more and more critical yeah, of there's the a, country. There's a scene right before they get there where it's night. They're trying to, I don't know if they're trying to protect or attack this bridge. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just nighttime, yeah, and they there's constant guns going on, Yeah, and they go in there to try and get fuel, and it's just hopeless. There's no commanding officer. It's yeah. just pure chaos, which is, at that point, is the craziest it's gotten. Yeah. Well, and I just think it's interesting how the characters that they talk to, mm-hmm. who are trying to convince him of things a lot of the time, yeah. of how messed up the country is, yep. how messed up the situation is. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they're going at it from the standpoint of, you know, in the movie it's Vietnam, in the book it's the Congo, yeah. that this place is awful. Yes. These people are awful. The people who we're fighting are awful. Meanwhile, we who have come in are civilized. And then once you get to the the real middle heart of it, then it kind of is revealed to you, oh, nope, it's us. Yeah. Yep. We, yeah. <laughs> we shouldn't have done this. Right. Totally. <laughs> this is what we signed up for when we did all of this. Yep. Either starting a war or colonializing a country right this is what happens inevitably yes you can't take them apart from each other you can't do a civilized war it doesn't work that way right and he also kurtz ends up doing some crazy things Mm -hmm. the guy that they leave on the boat to try and communicate with the outside world willard tries communicating with him and kurtz overhears and goes and kills him and beheads him and like brings him brings willard the guy's head Mm -hmm. like stuff like that and so it's very intense oh it's so intense and so the and but there's a lot of time where kurtz is just spouting philosophy he apparently does this all day every day all he Mm -hmm. does is just talk about like a cult leader yeah and the photojournalist guy is just eating it up Mm -hmm. and interesting side note of all of this is that marlon brando hated dennis hopper 
because Dennis Hopper was trying to annoy him intentionally, and oh. it clearly worked. And so yeah. they don't have any scenes together, other than the one time where literally the Kurtz yells at the photojournalist that he's like some like leech or a plague or something, awesome. which was presumably just Marlon Brando being mad at Dennis Hopper. For yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Marlon Brando did not know the text. He hadn't read any of his lines. He knew nothing. And so there was a good chunk of of time where Francis Ford Coppola was reading Heart of Darkness out loud to to Marlon Brando in order for him to understand the Kurtz character. There's a great shot of Brando filming The Godfather Uh where Robert Duvall has on his chest Mm -hmm. somebody put all of Brando's lines (laughs) because the scene is shot from behind Robert Duvall. Yeah. So that's how lazy Marlon Brando had gotten at the point was that he, he... just needed to read the lines. Yeah, so so the lines in this are mostly improvised, like almost entirely improvised. It's just stuff that he thought that his character would say. Huh. And so, and there are some iconic lines in this movie. Just yeah. from that, there's one point when Willard comes in and introduces himself. He says, "You're just an errand boy sent by the grocers to to get the bill or something like that," mm-hmm. which is so dismissive yeah. in like a perfect way. Yeah, yeah. There are so many cool lines. The there's, the line, the horror, the horror. That's from the book. That's right? from the book. That's yeah. the only thing that they were like, "You have to do this." Yeah, you gotta. <laughs> which is my favorite part of the book, basically, of him, of Kurtz dying. And realizing that death isn't noble or majestic or anything. It's just sad and you're no one's gonna be ready for it. Yep. And Great. and you know, him also realizing that up until not, none of this stuff that he has done has Yep prepared him for this point. Yep. And so all the power that he gained. Yeah, yeah. All. And was all this horrible, awful stuff. Mm-hmm. And so Obviously, that's a very widely openly interpreted line. There's, I'm it sure. can be a million different things. Yeah, but Willard goes and kills him yep. during this big ceremony that they're having, where they're killing a bull. Which, Side note: that they were doing that anyway, <laughs> <laughs> and they just decided to film they it. They just decided to film. Actually, Francis Ford Coppola's wife, I yes. think, yeah. heard that it yep. was going to happen and was like, "You got to go film this." Yep. So they do, and so for real, you get to see a bull just get absolutely annihilated by three guys with huge machetes, just chopped its head off. So you know, trigger warning for that if that's a thing that <laughs> yeah, would if that concerns upset you. you this did not get passed by the, you know, this did not have the no animals were harmed thing at the end. <laughs> yeah. One animal was extremely, extremely harmed. Extremely harmed. Um, and, and it's really brutal, but it's also have that side by side, that being filmed with uh, Willard going and killing Kurtz, essentially bludgeoning Kurtz to death. Yep. And it is really intense. Like, it's it's so well done. It's oh. such a perfect... You I, don't know, know who, shot, I don't know who edited shot. the movie, but it's basically perfect. It's incredible. And then at the end, Willard leaves, and he sees that now all of the people like seem to consider him a god. Okay. So, which is another like interesting sort of you know this power. You know, no matter who has that power, it's always going to be mm-hmm. exploitable and horrible. And, mm-hmm. and so the movie ends. It's just crazy. They never actually show the title of the movie in a regular script. Apparently, they only show the title of the movie as graffiti somewhere. Oh, Because the title has to show up somewhere for you mm-hmm. to actually say that it's that. Yeah. And so, the title never shows up other than on graffiti. Yeah. Awesome. Isn't that great? So, did they? does that work for copyright stuff? Don't you yeah. need to have yes, that's the copyright how, yep. on the screen also? Uh, I don't know. They probably did it. Anyway, that's how it worked. Huh. So, 
yeah, this movie was fantastic, and I highly recommend everyone watch it. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of other cool stuff about it, like how George Lucas was going to direct it originally. Mm-hmm. Him and Francis Ford Coppola were, were really good friends, and they, by the time it got started, like basically if, if George Lucas would have directed this, he couldn't have done Star Wars. Yeah. He was also going to you know not film it out in wherever they filmed it in They Asia. did it in the Philippines, I think? Yeah. So, so let's talk about the back round of the movie yeah there's so, so much of it there's a documentary called hearts of darkness which i have uh, not seen and now i really want i to. saw it several years ago i think i actually saw it after they referenced it in community um they make a joke oh yeah because abed's always saying how abed hearts makes of darkness a, is even better yeah he makes a joke about hearts of darkness being better than apocalypse now which i don't think is true at all i think that's absurd uh i think nobody really that's really i don't think anyone truly believes that's that. contrarian film yeah, yeah right there um but it's a very interesting movie i think most of the movie is made with stuff that eleanor coppola filmed yeah yeah it is yep uh it's francis ford coppola's wife um they had to make the movie in the philippines they mm-hmm. couldn't make it in vietnam makes sense yep um and they couldn't use was, any u.s equipment as yeah they couldn't earlier. use any u.s equipment and it was a disaster they had i think some like typhoons come through yep, and wreck a bunch of their scenes they they needed to get all the helicopters from like the f- military of the philippines and they had to take the they had to take them back to like quell a rebellion or something like yeah that. they needed so. to like take their helicopters back for a while uh yeah and these aren't things that can just you can just be like oh yeah we'll just cancel what we were going to do with those helicopters today right. that's probably a pretty major production yes that was probably the most intensive part of the movie to film they had they had marlon brando out there for six weeks and the entire six weeks were a nightmare because you know once again he didn't know diva, any of his lines living in the jungle he didn't want to do any probably of it hated it they had cast they had cast harvey Keitel originally and oh, he dropped out a couple weeks in Oh, the other crazy thing is that Martin Sheen had a massive heart attack. Oh, yeah, he almost died. Yes, like pretty far into the movie. And so they had to get his brother out there <laughs> to film. And that's a lot of the sh- sh- shots where they're just filming from the back. Uh huh. It's his brother. Awesome. And his brother also did a bunch of the narration over the top because oh. Martin Sheen wasn't in good enough condition wow. condition to actually do any of it. And so a lot of that narration at the beginning of the film is martin sheen and a lot of the voiceover uh-huh. or not martin sheen his brother yeah is that wild man so, so much yeah. of this could have gone wrong and somehow it amazingly turned it into this absolutely incredible film well and people i we've talked about this before about the problems the limitations of trying to make a movie being some of the things that make it good yeah the example everybody goes with is jaws yeah the shark sucks so they couldn't show it and it right. made it more terrifying and i think i don't know if I don't know how even if I always agree with that. I think a lot of times... It works when it works and it doesn't when it yeah, doesn't. Yeah, there's a lot of movies where it's a mess and they just couldn't get any of the shots. Yep. and Or the movie just doesn't get finished. Yeah. Or whatever. But for every one of those, there's uh, firing Eric Stoltz from your movie and getting in Michael J. Fox and Back to the Future being incredible. Yeah. and Or even like this of... Uh, brando being overweight and it making him more imposing yeah you know and it making them like put him in shadow most of the time yeah which which is is way more interesting oh yeah it makes it very intense he's the shark (laughs) and i'm sure to some degree yeah so sure to some degree the difficulties that they dealt with probably did improve the movie yeah because it got finished yep 
assume, you know, that's working under the assumption that you're finishing the movie. Yeah, for um, sure. And the only reason that it probably even happened was because Francis Ford Coppola had so much clout at the time. Yeah. He made The Godfather. And Godfather Part Two had both, both of those had come out already, right? Yeah. And, like, so he could kind of just do whatever he wanted. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Well, and I think he owned the studio. Have you watched the extended edition of this? I own it. I don't remember if I have watched Apocalypse Now Redo, which adds an additional 40 minutes of footage. 45, I think, minutes of footage. I think I watched it. I can't remember. I've seen this movie a few times. The last time was probably like four years ago, and I think I maybe watched the extended version then, Mm -hmm. but I don't remember. And the other really interesting thing about this movie is that what Coppola wanted to do... this This is so insane that I wish it would have happened. He wanted to build a theater... In the middle of the United States, so probably in like Kansas, mm-hmm. and he wanted this movie to run continuously for ten years, only at this theater. What? And anyone that wanted to see Apocalypse Now, yeah, had to come to this theater to watch it. And then when that ten years was over, then he would like discuss like you know distributing it elsewhere. But it yeah. was like an event, and it was going to be set up exactly how he wanted. Whoa! Someone needs to do that. That's so crazy. <laughs> and it could what? never happen, but I wish it could have. What a weird idea. It's unreal. How? What would even be the motivation there? Just to have to it make be an it event? work To make it work for people? Like that you got to like really put effort into it? Maybe. That you really got to want to see it? I don't know. Isn't that awesome though? <laughs> <laughs> I like the showing it continually thing. Yeah. But, but only in one spot. Yeah. Right in the middle, of, and that's the best part. In the middle of the United States, yeah. <laughs> so everyone had to like, you know, like the further out from the coast you are, the more you had yeah, to, where all the that'd people be are. Wild. I would have made a trip. That'd be cool, right? That'd be if that was happening now. What type of movie would it have to be? Who's who's it got would, that much clout right now? It would need to be somebody who obviously has already gotten huge acclaim yep on the level of francis ford coppola um i could honestly see wes anderson doing it oh yeah but in a that has a different vibe it does have a different vibe doing it well one more serious person i suppose like a christopher nolan could probably do it yeah i could maybe see quentin tarantino appreciating the idea yeah but not wanting to do it because he would want more people to see it and talk about it yep yep i could see christopher nolan's mind right now in terms of he's oh he's got Terrence, just enough clout. Terrence Malick. Oh yeah, Terrence Malick would definitely do it. <laughs> I'm just thinking about how crazy that is. Yeah, it's oh I mean like Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh there you go. I could see him doing something like that. He's I mean he's kind of kind of a control freak and in, in yeah he way. and he's pretty much the peak of prestige filmmaking right? Yeah, it's <laughs> in so. America. Yeah. It would have actually been like if he would have uh, done that with uh, There Will Be Blood. Yeah. If he would have like set level. up a theater in Oklahoma. Yep. And made people come and see it. That would I would have done it. Yeah. If it if it's like that kind of a thing where it's like after a year, it's like, yeah. all right, this isn't coming over Especially here. Especially if that kind of thing had been going for a while. Yeah. And it had become an established thing. It'd be like going to like a midnight showing of the room or whatever yeah. you know like an event that people do we're going we're driving down to kansas let's for the do weekend it. we're going watch. down there we're gonna watch it yeah i'd do that i'd I would, sign up for that i would i could absolutely see spike jones doing this oh yeah 
You'd love that. <laughs> Don't awesome. actually. Let's not put. That. Ah, I'm torn. <laughs> let's not put the idea out there too much. They they've all seen Apocalypse Now. They all know it exists. Okay, they know. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts on Apocalypse Now? See it. Don't see it if you're squeamish. It is on Netflix. Oh, nice. Just so, the regular version? Just the regular version. Well worth a watch. Especially if the... Sorry if we spoiled a bunch of it for you already, uh, yeah. but it's still good enough to watch. It's been out for a long, a long time. Yeah. And I think even... It's a movie where if... It's a movie where you know what you're getting into. Yeah. It's a war movie. It's very dark. If that appeals to you, you're going to like it. Yeah, totally. If you want to know a little bit more about the Vietnam War in an, in kind of an uh, obtuse way. Yeah, a it's bit. not going to give you more factual information about the war. Yeah. But if it's going to give you an idea of what people who were against the war at the time thought about it. Yep. This is a good one to go with. Oh, for sure. The Deer Hunter, also a good one to go with. Yeah, I, I, need to, I do need to watch that next. If you watch it, we'll go with it. We'll talk about it another time. <laughs>